Fio Mai, you've tuned into Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. Things have, you know, unfolded in a way that has been really dramatic. No judge, no confidence means no justice. That's the view of Kiribati's founding president. Also, we started to see a shift once we started doing more community awareness. Down but not out. Vanuatu boosts mental health support services. And later on... You see that it's happening. Exchange. It's the exchange of knowledge, exchange of investment ideas. Academics in Fiji work towards building a knowledge-based economy. The people of Kiribati are still denied justice. That's the view of opposition MP and the country's founding president, Sir Yeremia Tabai. The government last year got rid of its Chief Justice and three Court of Appeal judges, all New Zealanders. Its earlier efforts to remove a High Court judge, David Lamborn, sparked the mess. Sir Yedemir says the public still remains unaware of how the government has treated the judges. Rimon Rimon is a journalist in Kiribati who interviewed the first president, who told him how concerned he was at the continued denial of justice to many. Don Wiseman spoke with Rimon Rimon. While the, the saga goes on, or the tug of war between you know the judiciary arm of government and, and the executive arm of government, at the bottom of all this is the people who are suffering with the mounting cases. That uh, so so basically, many people have not been served justice with many of the cases not having been heard yet because of the courts not functioning. And I think we all know why the court is not functioning. The Australian uh, judge David Lambourne's um, tenure in, in, in office, and I think that is something that is up to the, the, the courts to, to interpret and and decide on, not the government. But things have, you know, unfolded in a way that has been really dramatic. See, what we see today now is that there is only one judge serving all 200,000 people. And that one judge, that is the acting chief justice. The current judge running the court, high court in Kiribati, was the, the actually the, the attorney general, the, the, the chief legal architect for the government in all its legal proceedings, and uh, especially in, in, against um, David Lamborn. So that was the, the controversial part of all this, uh, was that the, that AG attorney general was being appointed chief justice. So now, she's, you know, people in the country, they know the ethics and the, the, the integrity of these kind of decisions, you know, but they welcome that there is at least a judge to look after things. Is she still acting? I think, I think that's the, the, the worry in Kiribati. And no one is more worried than uh, our founding president, Sayyidina Tabaya, who I, I had the opportunity to interview last week. As you understand, while this issue is also raising eyebrows overseas, within the borders in Kiribati, a lot of people have been affected by it. When I spoke with uh, Sayyidina Tabaya, he was very concerned about the, 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 the pending situation with the judiciary in Kiribati, especially with the chief justice being still act- in an acting uh, capacity or acting role for, for more than six months now. He was really worried worried and concerned that, that the executive, or, or rather he pointed out the president can, can let this drag on when it is one of the, the main uh, critical issues, especially in the governance and, and the democracy of, of our country. It's really worrying, not just people on the ground who are affected by the, you know, the mounting cases that, that, that they're waiting to be heard, but also lawmakers in our country quite worried about that, especially in opposition. Not the government, though. They don't give a damn, it would seem, about this. So uh, at the moment, we have a, an acting chief justice. What we don't know is we don't know who is our attorney general. As we all know, that the, the former attorney general is now the current acting CJ. I did in my work on story much earlier last year, did ask on a, on a few occasions via email and to, to some in-person uh, queries 
to the government regarding this situation. And, you know, I got no response from government. So whether they are not engaging with government uh, as a strategy, maybe that is, could be the case. But they tend to have a functioning Facebook page, which, which they use as a platform to, to release whatever information they, they, they want to give. So when I spoke with Yerenia Tapa, I talked about a Facebook post by the president's office saying that the decision to to suspend all the three court, judge, court of appeal judges uh, was, was con- actually constitutional. So the Sengirina Tapa really questioned that and, and said, you know, it was not really appropriate because according to Kitipa's constitution, there's only two reasons why any judge in the high court can be suspended. Those reasons are, the first one is that either the judge, you know, has a mental incapacity or physical incapacity that, that he cannot do his role, or secondly, he had a misconduct of, of misbehavior, you know. Uh, according to our knowledge, and what we know of the current Court of Appeal judges that were suspended by the government. None of those two points matched the reasons why they, they were suspended by government, but it was set up by the president. The tribunal consists of a former secretary, government secretary, a current practicing lawyer, um, and a magistrate from one of the outer islands. You know, in order for, for a tribunal to, to investigate allegations against esteemed high-level you know, judges, and, and I mean these three, Court, court of Appeal judges are still practicing in New Zealand at the moment. The tribunal led by a magistrate's court, you know, the Tegeremia Tapai said, you know, this, according to the Constitution, doesn't meet the requirement. A magistrate has not worked in a judicial high office, according to the, the wordings of the Constitution. Someone that should be in that tribunal must have held in an office of high judicial you know, level. So given the, the, the interpretation that we got from the Parliament's office and with speaking with with, with Yerina Tapai, who was actually was one of the, the guys, uh, the person, one of the person in the room that were drafting the Kitipa's constitution, gave an analogy that in order to, to answer allegations for, for say, for example, a, a doctor, a medical doctor, you, you don't call a registered nurse to do that, you know, an equally qualified medical doctor. Yes, and they were suspended more than six months ago now. How long is this tribunal going to sit? The first tribunal, because there's been, there's been three tribunals set up by the government. Um, one was for the, the first, the, the, the puny judge, um, David Lambourne, the Australian Judge Lambourne. The second one is was on the Chief Justice, is also on New Zealander, Judge uh, William Hastings. Um, and the third one, which we were talking about now, is so basically they, I think they were given a hundred day window to to look into into the allegations, or based on on how they got or the, the the information, the evidence that they wanted. But they they don't usually go on for more than six months, especially if they have a role that is important in, in the running of the government or, or the services for the people. So the the, the current situation worries the founding president, saying that that it's dragging on for, for six months now. More people in Vanuatu are anticipated to need mental health support after two severe cyclones tore through the country about a month ago. Despite putting up a strong front, people are experiencing acute stress, anxiety and depression. Vanuatu's only psychiatrist, Jimmy Obed, says mental health is still a sensitive and taboo matter among the community. Caleb Fotheringham has more. Lawrence Ingelow, the head nurse at Port Vila Hospital's mental health facility, Mindcare, says more patients need support following natural disasters. I was deployed to Tana just camping before yesterday. During the assessment, we've seen few patients with like mood disorders, like 
uh, stress, acute stress. Mr Ingolo says the widespread destruction has left communities emotionally scarred. One of the things that stresses them is because they are, the houses are blown out, they have no food, they are, the access to roads, to health services, or schools have been damaged. Many of them are struggling with these, these things. In 2014, Vanuatu established a separate department dedicated to mental health having previously been under the internal medicine unit. The country's first and still only psychiatrist, Jimmy Obed, says when it first opened, the unit only saw patients with severe mental disorders. He says depression and anxiety are new concepts. It's only recently following community engagements that more people sought help. Usually they would run to a traditional healer or the pastor down the road or take some herbal medication and things like that. But we started to see a shift once we started doing more community awareness. New Zealand Foreign Affairs Minister Nanaya Mahuta opened the refurbished Mindcare Mental Health Facility in a visit last week. The project was part of New Zealand's support for infrastructure, damaged by Tropical Cyclone Herald in 2021 and cost 155000 New Zealand dollars. The minister also went to Vanuatu with a team from the Pacifica Medical Association that will operate from the facility to provide mental health support in the post-cyclone recovery. The relationship between MFET and the Pacifica Medical Association team is one of a partnership and we are still learning about how we can support their expertise and what they bring, medical experts but also community experts to deliver health services in a culturally appropriate way. Dr Obed hopes the renovation of the facility would eradicate the stigma from mental health. It used to be called the prison, referred to as the cell, referred to as the mental psych unit, or in Pislama we would say the cranky ward. So it was all dull and people, you know, just the look of it, people didn't want to come to us. But the facelift and the renovation and more space, I think it will be more friendlier. In Fiji, academics are drafting a legislation exploring the potential to become a knowledge-based economy. To achieve this, a daring change of perspectives from brain drain to brain sharing is needed. Rachel Nath caught up with economist and Fiji Higher Education Commission Director, Dr. Rohit Kishore, who spoke about this concept. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Kishore. Uh, so I'd like to get us started by talking about how education institutions, um, such as the Fiji Higher Education Commission, are exploring these long-standing controversial loss of professionals from Fiji to developing nations. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yes, this is all part of economic growth and challenges going forward. Is is People are saying brain drain. Yes, brain drain. But but then but then that's part of globalization anyway. I mean, we live in a global village and, and that has to happen. We can't stop that from people prospering, especially the young ones. I'm saying it's not brain drain. Let's let's talk about brain sharing, you know, and then to and fro from our side overseas and from overseas back. And if you look at Fiji's population, we're quite a young generation. Each year, we, uh, you know, gradu- graduating about seven, eight thousand students from year, you know, thirty year, six, uh, year twelve and thirteen. And what do we do with that? We want to fix our system, our how the entire education system properly. You know, align our education system in such a way that we are able to produce the skills and the knowledge that we want, good quality skills and the knowledge, educated people that we want, 
more enough enough for us and also export so we're working on is we're calling that to develop fiji as a knowledge knowledge based economy and that's what we want to do we're working very hard now at the moment we have the fiji higher education commission particularly me personally right now working towards the finalization of our new strategic plan and and this is very much part of it to make sure that our education sector is you know, relevant, you know, responsive, relevant, sustainable and engaged, all inclusive. That's what we want to do. Right. Now, now, wouldn't you say that Fiji could run the risk of suffering from a lack of skilled professionals, you know, if we were to continue exploring brain sharing? A lot of people coming through our system, school system. If we don't, if we don't, find outlets for them, then we might overcrowd and, 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 you know, build unemployment here. But then what we have currently is, you know, we have to align our education system in such a way that we produce education and knowledge and, and qualifications in the area where it's, it's much needed and, and not overcrowd a particular area. For example, not, not to oversupply in a particular area and, and short and short supply in, in another area. Right. We're currently having local debate with our industry people here. Some of the employers are saying that we are shortchanging in that you know, we're allowing people to migrate. But you can't stop. I mean, people must prosper in their life. If we don't do it, there are other island nations. You know, there are these are opportunities. Australia, New Zealand, other producing these opportunities for us. I see this is as an economic opportunity, and we must grab it. If we don't grab it, other countries will take it. So, but mm. again, we must do it right. We must get the balance right to produce enough for us and also export knowledge in that way and then create yeah. a country with, you know, a knowledge-based country where we will brain, where we can do brain sharing. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Dr. Kishore, could you talk into how a balance of sharing as opposed to draining expertise could be achieved? So we're building on that. And technical and vocational education and training, which is TVET, is coming very handy. Right now, we're working on TVET, a national TVET policy, to make sure that we get our skills education right and, and, and train our people for the skills that we need to make sure that we have enough to keep and, and also export. At the moment, you know, this one area particularly is, is uh, aged care. You know, aged care, and, and we see Australia supporting us through the APTC, Australian Coalition, and they want quite a large number. They want thousands of aged care workers in Australia because Australia is an aging population. And then they want that. So we haven't got enough. So what we're doing right now is we, particularly again, higher education, you know, playing a critical role here that we're allowing, you know, at the moment it's Fiji National University and other institutes to produce what is needed out there to have enough for us and also export. So... From what I understand, in order for brain sharing to be successful, it needs to be a two-way street. Is Fiji seeing professionals from overseas sharing their knowledge in the country? At the, at the moment, if you see workers from Bangladesh and Sri Lanka are coming here, so, th- so that's happening. And as we develop this more, it will happen more. So, so you know, you know, more. It's more at the moment. It's more from our side to the outside world, but also from outside world to us is happening. And, and like some of our own people, and I'm one example, I've been here a bit long, but 
our people who be, been uh, gone away, like you and others. I mean, one day you might come back. You know, you and 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 what we bringing back, what we bringing back is very good knowledge. Like you say yourself, you you know, you're pursuing, going to pursue your masters and the rest of it. So you're really creating that knowledge. So our own people are coming. Our own people are coming and, and working back here, and also investing back here. Entrepreneurship is another area that we're looking on. Some of the people have gone back and then, you know, they've been there long enough, they earned money, good luck, and, you know, and they're coming back here. So it's happening to and fro. And if we get it right and we open the door and then plan it properly, as we go forward, it will happen more. But all that to happen needs a stable, you know, the stability. We need political and economic stability. So that is very important. Once we ground that and, and, and we have so far, we have that. And you see that it's happening. Exchange. It's the exchange of knowledge, exchange of investment ideas and, and foreign investment, the rest of it. And we would like to build more on it. Vinakavakalevu for your time. Dr. Rohit Kishore, the director of the Fiji Higher Education Commission. That's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs, or you can download us on Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team that made this episode a great one yet, so far so far.